Steve Edison for the Movements Podcast. The podcast for people who want to multiply disciples and churches everywhere. Today I'm being interviewed by Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones of Church Planter Magazine. Post some links on the blog so that you can uh, check out their magazine and subscribe to their podcast. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hey, Church Planner, this is Pete Mitchell. And this is Peyton Jones. Coming to you for our midweek podcast, our uh, our nice little Wednesday ditty that we like to do. And um, we're back to having a uh, another star-studded cast, or at least a uh, a single star-studded, not, not necessarily plural. But uh, we got a great uh, guest on the podcast today. Peyton, why don't you introduce our guest? Oh, I thought you were talking about me for a second. There, yeah, Pete. you know I wasn't actually. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just, I just thought, you know. So we've got Steve Addison on here, and he is the author of "What Jesus Started" and "Movements That Changed the World." So, Steve, good to have you on here. Thank you. Good to be with you guys. So, I mean, you know, you're you, Steve. You're on the brink of another adventure. I mean, I've been tracking with you on your email for quite a while. You've been involved with CRM. Um, you're starting uh, to direct move over in the UK, if I've got that right. Um, but what's really cool is you are just getting ready to move. And I know we've been trying to catch you uh, over the last few weeks. And you have just let go of your house. And you're getting ready to embark with two suitcases and a box weighing 45 pounds to go to the UK. I mean, that is from, crazy. From where? From, from oh, Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne, and, Australia. Uh, it's not that silly because we're leaving Melbourne winter and arriving in a in in, in English summer. Although someone told me the other day that uh, they'd had three warm days in a row and they thought maybe that was the end of summer. <laughs> but, uh, they're they're yeah, obviously so Welsh. We, obviously, a Welshman told you that. <laughs> probably, I, I understand the sun shines brighter in Wales, but um, don't believe uh, it. <laughs> Not for a second. Apparently, Swansea is the wettest city in the UK, and I lived there for, gosh, man, a number of years. But, uh, but anyways, hey, Steve, welcome on. And we want to ask you, um, first off, uh, you know, your, your, your books have cool titles, man. What Jesus Started. Tell us a little bit about that. What did Jesus start? Yeah. Well, I chose that title because it's sort of a bit of a reaction to up and talk about, um, you know, what would Jesus do? And uh, I think a much better question is what did Jesus do? Mm. And uh, extend that out a little bit to what does the risen Lord continue to do through his uh, followers, through his disciples in Acts, and then right, right down through history to today? So, the idea that Jesus founded a movement that changed the world, a disciple-making movement, um, and that uh, he led the way, and as a risen Lord, he continues to the lead, lead the way and work through us. Um, so in that very real sense, um, you know, I like to tell people, Jesus rose from the dead. He's, he's still alive. He's still at work in the world. And that's a total game changer from all the doom and gloom people who feel like, you know, the worst thing in the world is, is God's people and the church. Um, that's, that's not how it plays out. We have our problems, uh, problems in the New Testament, all of that. You have flawed and, uh, 
and and vulnerable uh, people. And yet at the same time, you know, you read the Gospels and Acts and God's dynamic word continues to progress forward. Despite all the obstacles, despite all the shortcomings of the disciples, you know, it's God's mission. And so I just wanted to ask that question. What did Jesus start and, and what's he what's he done throughout history and what's he doing today? So that's a, that's, a, that's a big mouthful, but, uh, you know, no, it's great because I mean, you know, just knowing a, a little bit about you from your bio, I mean, you've, you've got a demon from Fuller and you've been church planning mm-hmm. since the eighties. So it's not like you're new to this topic. You're definitely not a, uh, a strict theory man. I know you've got a lot of principles and theory in the book, but you know, I've been tracking with you on your emails. You're, you're like in the trenches, man, up, up close and personal, getting your hands dirty. And I watch you. I watch you with like the, the English classes, all the cool stuff that I've, I've gotten yes. over the past year and something from your blog. I mean, tell us about your journey first off mm. to Christ and yeah. then how you, uh, got a passion for church planning. Okay. Well, I, I grew up the son of a, um, a Baptist minister. Mom and dad oh, were. No. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I was. So I, I empathize. <laughs> I understand. You, you know why ministers' kids are so poorly behaved? Because they spend too much time with the deacons' kids. <laughs> Pete, there's hope for you yet. Look at Steve. I'm now holding up Steve as like, you know, the poster child for there's hope for Pete campaign. Hey. That's right. Pastors kids, so, pastors uh, of Baptist kids are nothing but angels. That's just the way it is. <laughs> so I, right, sorry, I, Steve. I right, right away from the Lord, I, I used to pride myself when someone would look at me and say, you're a minister's son? You know, I, I really messed up big time. And then I found myself uh, chasing after this girl, and she happened to go to a youth group. So I, I wandered along, hmm. and I I... I encountered someone whose life was radically changed by the Lord. He had a outlaw, bikey background. He was rough and mean and to look at, um, but but God had changed his heart, and I wondered if if that could happen for me. So I I, I gave my life to Christ and um, and and started following him. That was when I was about seventeen years old, and I had some rocky roads after that where. Um, you know, some personal stuff caught up on me, and I thought, if, if God doesn't, want, you know, why can't God just take away my problems? And so I, I ran from the Lord for a number of years, and then finally decided I'm, I'm going to serve God because it's true, uh, regardless of, um, you know, whether my problems gets fixed. And you know, the, since then, the Lord, He has delivered me from a lot of tough times. But just as much, he's, he's given me the strength to grow through them. And, um, you know, I wouldn't have the marriage or the family or the life I have today if it wasn't for Christ. And so that's, that's my story in a nutshell. Uh, in terms of church planting, you know, I, I, I stumbled in it, into it. Our, our church was a big church. Uh, the church I was a, a, like an intern, a student intern in. And they wanted to plant a church, and someone just said, "What about Steve?" Uh, I wasn't looking for it, and so. But the the minute I was asked, you know, both Michelle and I knew we were called to do this, and so we went and planted a church. And then out of that experience, it went very well. 
Um, but out of that experience, God called us to a ministry of uh, fueling, of coaching church planters, uh, you know, a national call to, uh, uh, to, to reach our nation. So we've been on that journey for about 20 years, just, just learning the basics of how do you coach, how do you train, how do you encourage church planters and church planting. Right. And um, last five years, um, the Lord sort of shook, shook me up a lot. I had a sort of bit of a, a challenge with depression about six years ago that really knocked me out for about six months. Wow. And God used that to rewire me, you know, both my walk with him, my surrender to him, some healing in my life, but also coming out of that, you know, byproduct of surrendering to God in those times is that, you know, byproduct is, is just a, a new sense of calling and of his will and clarity about what he wanted me to do. And one of the big things was, We've done a lot of advocating of church planting, trying to convince people to do it. You know, it's effective form of evangelism, all of that sort of stuff. And, you know, it had taken me away from the hands-on. And we, we actually realized we're not actually getting to movements. We're adding churches. We're not multiplying them. And the Lord challenged me through Michelle, my wife, um, she, the, the book, first book on movements had come out and, uh, you know, she said, you've written a great book here, Steve, you know, and I, I, I tended to agree with her. <laughs> and then she said, but, but when are you going to do something? And it was just awful guys. I, I guess you guys are married. Um, not to each other, at, not, not to each other. No, no, that's true. I understand. <laughs> I'm looking at Pete's photo. There's a lovely lady there with him and, I'm I'm way out of Pete's league. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, one of the worst things for us married guys is when God speaks through our wives. You know, and God was speaking through Michelle. So we just started prayer walking our local area uh, nearby in Box Hill, where there are just thousands of internationals, hmm. um, a lot from mainland China. Because that's what I, I told people to do in my book. I'd, I'd, I'd studied the best practitioners. I'd studied the ministry of Jesus. And so I just had to read my own book. And huh. we started doing what, what the expert was saying. And immediately <laughs> God uh, began to lead us to people who were far from him, but who wanted to know more about how they could follow Jesus. And since then, you know, it's been, you know, we, we're saying goodbye to a lot of these folks now. We had dinner last night, um, you know, thinking of a young couple, professional couple, uh, who we led to the Lord two or three years ago, baptized them, discipled them. They're going on, you know, there are so many uh, people like that now in our lives who are lifelong friends, even some who haven't accepted Christ. Yeah, You know, after we saw this couple, we had a, a sort of evening, a late evening with some uh, Persian friends from Iran. They haven't accepted the Lord yet, but we love them like they're our kids, you know. So my whole life and ministry has changed because of that challenge from Michelle. Let's sure. go do something. Um, but it's not enough for us, it is a, a major thing that all our staff in MOVE are engaged locally in connecting 
in sharing the gospel up front early, uh, training disciples and gathering them into groups and churches. That's, that's the ministry of Jesus. But it's not enough for us just to be practitioners and tell our stories. That just gets us in the room. We do that because it's a spiritual discipline for every believer. What we add to that, if we're going to see movements, not just adding churches, but multiplying disciples and churches, then what Michelle and I and, and our other people do that we've trained is we train others and mobilize other people all around Australia and that's what we'll do in Britain. We'll engage locally and train nationally and mobilize. And instead of advocating and trying to convince and meetings with people who are half-hearted, we are looking for people who are ready for action. Right. So I'll take a moment. Of, as you can see, I don't have any trouble filling your time. So I'll take a little breath and we'll re- regroup, eh? To, to, to be honest, Steve, I was just sitting here thinking, man, I could just listen to this guy talk and, you know, it's not kissing your hiding or anything. That's just literally like you, you hit on about three rich nuggets. Number, the first question that I want to ask, mm-hmm. hold on, that's my train. My train gets to ask first, then me. Um, the, the first question I want to ask is what, what did the, I mean, cause what you're talking about that, that I'm sure that at the end of that time, you're kind of broken. And, and you were kind of like, it's like a double breaking. On one hand, you go through this depression and you're kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm not the big Steve Addison I thought I was, you yeah. know? And then your wife goes, Hey, you're not the big Steve Addison you thought mm-hmm. you were. And so, I mean, what did that, what did that, what did that do for you? That's, that's my first question. Yeah. And, and I'll remember these so you don't have to. Um, the third, the, the second one is how hard is it and how do you deal with the fact that you've got to move on and leave people behind like Paul did. Okay. Second question. Yeah. <laughs> I'll remember these. I'll remember these. And then yeah. my third question is, how do you disciple people? How do you train them? What does that look like on the ground? So first question again was um, the breaking uh, that you had. What, what was that like yeah. and what happened? Yeah, well, it was the worst and best experience in my life. Um, so, I mean, I, I was at the edge. I have a background with depression, a family predisposition, all of that. Um, so it, it was as awful as I've ever experienced. Now, um, there's a lot of people, that, probably just about everybody out there listening right now, um, in their own way has, has had a major struggle in their life. Mm. It, it's something that comes to us all, uh, not necessarily depression, but mine was depression. Um the turning point for me, I had a wonderful um, Christian uh, psychologist, no, psychiatrist, actually. I've had a psychologist for a while, but a psychiatrist. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, at one point, I, I mean, I'm, I'm paying this guy to be sympathetic. You know, I thought that was a deal. So I say to him, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like my whole life has been a waste and the worst thing that could happen to me is I could live another 30 years and my life would have no purpose, no, no legacy. And he looks at me and instead of giving me, you know, a bit of compassion, he looks at me and says, well, who guarantees you a purpose and a legacy? You know, where does he guarantee about a legacy? And then he opens his drawer, and this is the final insult, because I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor, I'm the missionary. He pulls out a pocket New Testament, 
and starts reading verses to me about the love of God. And here I am, and I'm realizing, uh uh-uh, this is the deal. It's not about my legacy. Mm. It's not about achieving all of these things or having the perfect marriage or family or being the perfect this or that. Um, it's actually about Christ. It's not about me. It's about trusting him. So I just decided that's the deal then. This is what I'm here for. Uh, even if every day of my life for the next 30 years I wake up feeling like I don't want to be here anymore, uh, my life is sort of over in my sort of terms, um, reality is Jesus died for my sins. He rose again, not in some spiritual form, but in this world, you know, physical body. He conquered the world I'm not coping with. And I, I have a relationship with him that will last forever. So even if I never feel great again or never feel like I've achieved what I want to achieve, this is true. And I'll, I'll just get up every day and, and, and live for this. And, um, that was the turning point. Um, and everything from that point, as God began to restore me and, you know, I was getting good input. I needed medication, uh, just, just because of the biological side of things. But as my life began to sort of rebuild month by month, um, everything that's come to me since then is a gift of God. Um, you know, the book took off. It wasn't ever going to get published, but the book took off after that experience. The second book came. God rebuilt the ministry. Um, God blessed, you know, my marriage with Michelle. Um, and but these things are gifts, not not things I've stri- stri- striven for. And 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 I think if we flip this back, some people say to me, everything comes back to movements for you, doesn't it, Steve? And and. You look at Jesus as a movement founder, Paul as a movement, key movement pioneer. Um, you look at all the great men and women of God through the ages. At some point, something unravels them, and they're in that wilderness. And they surrender to God rather than achievement because movements beca- can become an idol in your life. Ministry can. Um, so everything becomes a gift then, and, and Christ mm-hmm. is all. And, uh, you know, I, I could spend the next hour talking about this stuff because it's so near to my heart. But well, it you, you hit on something like really important. Even church planning, like I've I've noticed yeah. that that church planning can become an idol. I felt at times yeah. like I can get so focused on church planning that I have gotten away from Jesus. I've actually mm-hmm. gotten so far away from the cross, from you know the heart of the gospel, and it's yeah. like anything. Your church plant, you know, for our church planners out there. Your church can become your idol, and yeah, and you're not even. I like to say it's 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 a mixture. It's not like well, we really signed up just for ourselves. It's just that in a fallen world, our motivations are mixed, yeah. and God is going to want to refine them, and not 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 all the time, but there'll be key moments in our life where the Lord takes away maybe the, the success of ministry or the fulfillment of it or there's conflict or whatever, maybe there's a health crisis. We've got to ask ourselves, you know, what's really driving me? Because it's not just our relationship with Christ, but, but if we're driven in that way, we'll be destroying people around us. 
There'll be collateral damage. And, and God wants to purify, to free us from those, those things uh, so that he can entrust us with even greater um, influence, but as a gift rather than as, as something that drives us and controls us. And when we see great leaders fall, um, and, you know, we, we can all think of the big names that have done that. They started out and they had mixed motivations, like we all do. But at some point they decided the price is too great. I'm going to hang on to this rather than, 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 than hang on to Christ. I think the devil gets too much blame when this stuff happens. I think most of the time our own hearts uh, deceive us and uh and, you know, it's, it is about Christ, whether we're, you know, depressed or whether we're, you know, successful, whether we're in prison or hospital, it's about Christ and he's worth it. Yeah. Amen. Wow. Uh, this is, this is rich stuff, Steve. I mean, this is really mm-hmm. good. Um, so going on, um, from that, which I, I actually yeah. hate to do, um, you, you, you're a man after my own heart. I'm, I'm a, I'm a cereal planter. Um, mm-hmm. I move on and I have not mastered yet the art of leaving a congregation. I mean, I can make the transition, but there's the emotional side. You mentioned, uh, right before the podcast, you were saying, oh, yeah. you know, I, I had dinner with a family last night and oh, these people are so dear. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, we were just talking a little bit about you're in transition and, and gosh, that gives you a unique perspective. But in your years of doing this, have you found a way to, I mean, I, I read Ephesian or uh, Acts with Paul on the docks with the Ephesian elders. Yeah. I just haven't found a way to, to come up with any other outcome other than just tears. And this is hard mm-hmm. and I love these people and I want to stay with them forever. Um, how do you deal with that? Cause that, that's hard. Well, I, I think a couple of ways. One, one is in, embrace the pain because the, the pain is or the, the, the sadness, the tears are a reminder of how valuable the relationship is. If it was easy, then, then deep down, you know, maybe you don't really love those people, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, it, it's, it's, it's something to appreciate. You know, I said to our kids, you know, we, we, we'd sort of said, ah, oh, look, you know, just we'll get someone else to take us to the airport. You don't want to take time off work. And then I thought about it and because we're saying goodbye to four, you know, young adult kids for a couple of years. And I, I just got back to him and said, guys, why don't you come out to the airport with us after all? And part of my motivation is I just want the whole lot of us as a family just to cry like babies out at the airport. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, because uh, we value that, and that's the sort of relationship that Paul has with the people he's led to Christ and discipled. But just remember, though, Paul's not your traditional pastor. No, Paul's never going to say, you know, let me go to one church as long as I can be there the rest of my life. Um, he started with the before he started the church. He's thinking about where's next. Yeah. Because he's a movement pioneer. He's not reaching a congregation. He's reaching cities and regions and whole people groups. Yeah. And so that's his way of life. And 
yet he still bonds with these people. But from day one, he doesn't want them. He From day one, he's getting them to a point of maturity where they're not dependent on him. And so one way to avoid, you know, unhealthy attachment is just to have that view of my, my job right from the beginning is to leave these people. Yeah. If you're a movement pioneer, um, some people are called to pastor in one place their whole life, but uh, some of us are called uh, to reach cities, to reach people groups, to reach nations. And yet at the same time, he maintains, you, you read his letters, he maintains these deep relationships through correspondence and return visits and the like. Um, he doesn't treat, he's not like somebody who's cold and detached, even though he's got to move on. He loves these people. Well, you know, Pete and I did another podcast this week, and it was, um, we actually did it today. And Pete, you asked the question, um, you know, what's the relationship between friendship and discipleship? And I, you know, my answer to this was, you can't have one without the other. I mean, it, they mm. just go hand in hand. And um sounds like that's what you're saying. It, it, it's so relational. You bond with these people forever, you know. Um, you, you do, but you see through them, you see, you, you, you don't think I... I am the, um, I'm just going to move house because Ollie, we're staying with friends and Ollie's getting a bit angry here, the dog. So I'll get to <laughs> yes. Oh, welcome I, to I the Church Planet like Podcast. We've got trains, dogs, even Australian dogs. <laughs> I don't know if he barks in Australian, but he's pretty loud. But um, the, This is way of uh, saying good day. <laughs> He, Paul's not thinking I I I am the one who's going to meet all these people's needs, and he's in that with those disciples. He's seeing through them to their relational worlds, and who how he can empower them to reach others. Yeah, you think about it, Jesus continually ministering to strangers, and. Um, Ollie's chasing me around the house, folks. <laughs> Embrace the pain. Embrace the pain. <laughs> Just in case your listeners thought this wasn't live. <laughs> wow, Steve's getting really excited it's about real. this. He's barking and everything. What's What's also pretty cool is we've actually just now gotten a tour of his whole house since we're doing this on Google Hangout. And we I know. Can... <laughs> now, now we see where we see where where you live. Um, convince your friend's house, but that's right. This is my bed. Anyway, uh, back back to here. Um, uh, <laughs> get out there, Ollie. Close the door on him. Back to Jesus. When when Jesus, uh, a lot of the time he's ministering to people he's never met before. Um, and he's going to have two or three days with them. That's what we talk about in what Jesus started. There's, there's 175 towns and villages just in Galilee. And Matthew tells us that Jesus visits every single one of them. Hmm. So he's just got a few days in each place. He does have the disciples he's bonding with, but when he encounters that woman at the well, he's seeing her whole town and village. Um, and he's, he's, he's uh, planning that one day post-Pentecost, you know, someone like Philip is going to come back down into Samaria and there'll be a whole movement amongst the Samarians. So he's not saying to her and her friends and family, 
I'm going to have this long-term pastoral relationship with you. He's saying, you know, this is a moment here. I, I love you. I'm laying down my life for you. But God is going to do something in you um, beyond just these few days that we have together. Yeah. And that's also our hope for our disciples and, 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 and the believers who we've trained and mobilized here in Australia, that they will grow um, even more because we're halfway around the world. Um, well, that, that was kind of to rely on the Lord for themselves and, and begin to minister and to step into the hopefully the, the gap that we leave. Well, that that was kind of what happened with us in Wales. I mean, we we went there and start off, uh, you know, working. Uh, I went off. I, I started in Lloyd Jones's church and in in Wales there in Sandfields and was the evangelist. And then we started a church out of that, um, which wasn't traditional at all. But um, we we ended up kind of. I I went. Uh, east of the country, and I started doing all kinds of radical ministry there, but I kept getting called around. And so I, I got kind of, you know, this, this bug for mobile ministry and kind of the, the little mm-hmm. apostolic, uh, outworkings, you know, of, of the, the little a apostolic role. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and by the time we left and we came back down towards South Wales and planted a church, which became a hub, but we also, uh, started tag teaming with others who were called and a movement. It, it was a movement that started. And, um, and at a certain point, Andrew and I kind of felt, cause there had not been a significant, uh, church planting, uh, movement within 30 years. Um, yeah. and mm-hmm. so we had kind of felt, we could just feel almost like the Holy Spirit tapping us and saying, okay, you're done. You know, you, you, you did what I wanted mm-hmm. you to do. It's time to go. And so yeah. we left and there's, there is a vibrant, church planning uh ministry there right now and so anyways it's it's pretty cool but uh how steve real quick we only have a few minutes left how how do you disciple how do you train how do you disciple Hmm. we we start the discipleship process uh in evangelism so we disciple people to conversion and what that means is we, we find a thousand and different ways to connect with people, identify early people who want to know more about Jesus, and often we'll bridge to a discovery Bible study approach. So we read a story about Jesus. Often a uh, common one would be the woman who wept at Jesus' feet, and we just ask simple questions like, what do we learn about God? What do we learn from the people in the story? Uh, is there something here that we need to do or obey? Uh, and who could you share this story with this week? And how, how can we pray for you? We do that with people who aren't yet believers, want to learn how to follow Christ, or at least want learn more about who Jesus is. So they're experiencing small steps in discipleship before they finally and sort of formally make a commitment to Christ and get baptized. Um, and then immediately we just continue the discovery Bible study process around discipleship. So the Great Commission, um, Jesus, there's no command to go teach. The command is to teach them to obey, and that's very different than just teaching someone information. Hmm. So we'll read uh, well, what are the commands and 
and they're to obey Jesus' commands. So here's some commands of Jesus, repent and believe. We read the story of Zacchaeus. So, you know, what do you learn about God or Jesus? What do you learn about the people in the story? What do you need to do? Uh, who could you share the story with so that they're beginning to minister to others and how can we pray for you? Um, second command, be baptized. And we read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, another command, this is all foundational discipleship. Love one another. Read the story of the Good Samaritan. So hmm. what we're doing, discipleship has become something to beat believers over the head with. You know, hmm. we've made it, you've got to be Mother Teresa, you've got to recycle. You got to do this. You got to do that. You know, you got to drink the right free trade or not fair trade coffee. You know, I don't know what it is. You have to run around naked in the woods. Whatever. Yeah. And, and, and we speakers and writers sort of make everybody feel guilty because they're not this perfect disciple. <laughs> we just take one story or one passage of scripture at a time, one step of obedience and always one more step. And so. Week on week, a a prospective believer, a new believer, they're getting into this pattern of reading the word and and in community with another with a group of people. Ideally, preferably, it's never one on one. It's it's a group. Um, Jesus very rarely did one on one. It's he's discipling people in groups. Um, So it's obedience orientated learning. And immediately those new disciples, they're not silly. They're going to say, when, when Steve asks me to share with a friend and disciple that friend and, and, and their friends, um, I can do what he does. All he does is read a story and ask half a dozen simple questions. Yeah. So new disciples are discipling others right from the get go. Yeah. I think that's, that's a, that's a key, right? Is that it's repeatable. You know, it's not, yeah. hey, watch the professionals and leave it to us. Yeah. I think the empowering of disciples to make disciples is, in fact, what uh, actually starts a movement. But we're out of time. And, Steve, yeah. it has been yeah. awesome having you on. Mm-hmm. And uh, we definitely, because we're out of time, I just, yeah. Steve, I've never heard you uh, talk before. I've read your stuff. I've read your activities. I trace uh, your movements. But... Um, read your book, but I have not, um, I've never heard you. And I just realized we've got a gold mine here of information uh-huh. that uh, we're going to want to come back to. And so, uh, we will, uh, circle back once you're grounded in the UK. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Love to do gonna wanna, Yeah. We're going to want to come back around to you. And, uh, I will in the meantime ask you one last question before you go. Yeah. If yeah. you could have any superpower, what would it be? <laughs> Oh, good question. First thing that comes in into my mind would be to remember everything that I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's the first thing I could think of. <laughs> I like it. Okay, so that you'd you'd be kind of like uh, the leader on the Incredible Hulk, the guy with the giant green head. So you'd know. Yeah, like, I think so, and I'd probably be very proud. <laughs> in a bad sense. Right on. It has been Steve Addison, Movements That Changed the World and What Jesus Started. I highly recommend you visit his webpage, which is movements.net, and you will find a wealth of information and resources. Pray for uh, Steve and his wife as they head over to the UK now with two suitcases and one box. That still blows my mind, but uh, they're going to head over there, invest everything for the gospel, 
and you can track with them. You can sign up for their newsletter. And Steve, thanks again for coming on. Thanks, brother. It's good to talk to you. Well, this has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell on the Church Planner Podcast reminding you if you want to reach the ones that nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of the Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of the Church Planner Podcast. Visit us online and let us know what you thought at churchplannerpodcast.com. If you subscribe to us via iTunes and have enjoyed the podcast, leave us a positive review. The more positive reviews we receive in iTunes, the more iTunes will promote us to other church planners who would benefit from this show. This podcast is brought to you by the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the iTunes newsstand or online via churchplannermagazine.com. 